Hey, this is a Hakawari production. My guest today is the co-founder of Anrami. Anrami, of course, is a music streaming platform that recently became the first Arab tech company to be listed on the Nasdaq. In an industry dominated by powerful global players, including Spotify and Deezer, this Lebanese startup went from humble beginnings in 2012 to being a publicly traded company that's now valued at $220 million. Please welcome one of the people behind this incredible story, Eli Habib. Hey, Eli. Hello. <laughs> First of all, congratulations. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, we're so glad to have you. And I just want to say, it must feel really good. Um, you guys were just listed on the NASDAQ. Um, how does it feel? Uh, overwhelming. Uh, overwhelming. Uh, and, you know, I'm obviously proud. I'm proud from where we are. But at the same time, I'm overwhelmed because, you know, this is, this is chapter two for us. It's not the end. It's just the beginning. There's still a lot to do. You and I spoke a few years back. Um, I know that you and Eddie Maroon came up with the idea for Anahami on a ski slope in Lebanon. And here we are, eight years later. And as we said, Anahami is on the NASDAQ. How difficult has this first chapter been? Oh, wow. I mean, it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to go back to remember those days, to remember that we it all started on a whim and just something very vague. And, you know, out of a ski trip, I mean, probably the best thing I ever got out of a ski trip. But uh, it took a lot, right? It's a roller coaster. It's been a non-going roller coaster. I can't remember whether, I mean, it's the ups or the downs. It just doesn't matter anymore. But it's, it's you know, it's uh, us persevering uh, after a big idea that we had and realizing that, you know, we, we had to build a lot and, why, and we had to learn how to build and fail while building. At the end, it feels, I mean, at the end of this chapter, it feels rewarding, but at the same time, I can't wait to keep on building and growing. I mean, uh, that's, that's what I'm good at. Was there ever a point when you guys thought in this roller coaster, this doesn't look like it's going to work, so maybe we should just call it quits? Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously, uh, that have been times, right? I mean, even from the get-go, when we started, we, we were in love with what we were doing, but we, we did not have enough resources. And there was like a company that launched uh, with the same target, with the same, I mean, with a better product at the time, uh, and that had launched like a week before we launched. And we thought, oh my God, we should fall down. And, uh, and clearly, you know, not folding down and persevering paid. But 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 that that point that that thing that feeling of you know I should maybe quit or stop or 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 whatever give up is something that you know came every several years uh, from one sort or another because we're humans right I mean we get tired sometimes we focus and we try to inspire the team and we try to get everybody aligned with with our visions with our goals but you know our goals were big. And going big means that you can being a storyteller, being a chief storyteller, uh, to keep reminding people of the story and then become the chief reminding officer to keep reminding and reminding and reminding and making sure that everybody stays the course. But at the time, at one point, you, you realize that 
there's nobody reminding you or uh, or you know you know uh, following up with you or helping you because as a founder i mean me and eddie at the end we could not have done it if we did not have each other it's not poetic it's real because when when i failed he picked me up and vice versa and i don't know how single founders do a company like that i mean some do and that's kind of freaking amazing but for us we've been had a lot of misses uh, and you know uh, and you know a lot of things that we thought would work that in one way then worked the different way but at the end what mattered for us was focusing and trying to take a vision a small thing and trying to make it work and then validate it and then build more and iterate and and be you know against perfection it's a kind of very weird because you're taught when when you're a child when you're at school when you're wherever that you know you, you have to be perfect and that you have to you know be the first whatever and perfection and we we realize that all of that does not work i mean perfection is the enemy of good and good is the speed right so for us we needed to be fast we needed to iterate we needed to validate idea after idea and it was never about being perfect but it was being first to market first with users first with artists and you know and then build better version and better version and keep shedding uh, skin after skin to be better and that is an ongoing uh, and a tiring job but you know still something that we love Do you think there's a certain amount of luck in your journey or do you attribute all of your success to strategy, implementation, and as you said, uh, pushing to be first and to continuously get better? Honestly, I have very little ego left. So it's, I mean, it's not just about, I mean, just me, right? Or, or us as a, as a founding team. It's mostly a, work, a, a group work, a group effort luck must have played something right I, i i might have played something very big at certain points and less at other points uh, but but i'm pretty sure it it's been with us sometimes it's bad luck and sometimes it's good luck right i mean we've had the mix of both but clearly being prepared and being and having a good product a good team a good positioning and all of that Uh, must have you know gotten uh, some kind of result and it's i we owe it a lot to to teaching the team and you know just trying to inspire everybody around us to be a better version than us so it's not just us it's it's the team that have proven to us again and again and again and again that you know if we focus on something and if we Uh, if we try to do better and iterate, we can eventually get to a place whereby we're very proud of what we have. And, you know, the, I mean, I did not plan to do an IPO. I planned, obviously, to get to a better place and to ideally try to uh, be independent as a company. And uh, the, IPO, the IPO happened because we were ready And because we were prepared, because we have proper governance and all of that. But uh, that has been also, I mean, a mix of luck also. Yes, I would like to know a little bit more about that. But uh, clearly you've poured your soul 
into this company. What are your days like, Eli? How many hours do you spend at the office on a typical day? Uh, I mean, we're in COVID times, so honestly, office doesn't doesn't matter. Uh, I, I I know that I haven't taken a, a break for a while. I mean, a good deserved long break. I've not done that for a while. So uh, I I think I have three kids, right? I mean, I have Ryan and Jad. Those are my my you know biological kids, and then I have Angami, which is a digital kid that I'm growing. So I uh, for me, it, there's no time when I'm a father. And there's no time when I'm, you know, I'm working on Alghami or not. It's always in the back of my mind. I, I can't actually stop thinking about Alghami. I mean, clearly, that's bad in terms of, you know, that so-called work-life balance and whatever. I mean, it's a harmony. It's not a balance, you know, because that matters to me. My work matters to me. So I don't try to balance work as if I need to not be at work or whatever. I need to make sure that, my life works well and my job works well and whatever needs to be done, I have to do it. And ideally, my first instinct in work is to delegate, right? I need to, I, I, I can't be a bottleneck. So I have to delegate it to others, but I end up working a lot because I still have a lot to do and I still have a lot of ideas and I'm still creative. And maybe when, once I figure, once I find myself working four or five hours a day, uh, I'm probably going to say that probably someone else should run Angami. But for now, I'm I'm pretty sure I work more than half a day on Angami. More than half a day? More than half the day. Sorry. So what do you do? That, do yeah. you mean twelve more than 12 hours? Or do you mean like you work in the yeah. morning, then you have lunch, and then you go play tennis? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. No, no. I, I, I'm pretty sure that I get to points where I work more than 12 hours sometimes. That's not something I'm proud of, uh, but but that's something that I probably did over COVID times. I mean, that, that this past year where I've been at home and whatever, and I'm not, a f I'm a fan of reading. I'm not a fan of watching movies, for instance. I do watch. I used to be a movie buff like a really long time ago. I, I, I know about certain Netflix series because I hear people talking about them, but I have watched very little. So when, when I'm reading, when I'm learning, uh, that for me is work, right? And for me, this is something that actually gets me better at work because one particular thing that you need to know is like, I've never been employed in my life. I've, I've, uh, I've built companies after companies since graduating or but I actually had my first company before I went to uh, university and then I built companies after companies and Angami. so basically for me if I'm reading a book because this is something I do daily I read in the morning and I read at night I mean this is reading but for me it's learning and this is for me relevant to my work right so I will be better at my work by by actually learning from you know, other people's expertise, other people's lives, other people's failures. And I learned that by reading books. Uh, so for me, it's like, whether it's I'm, I'm reading or I'm networking or I'm, uh, I don't know, I'm not coding anymore, thankfully, but I'm following up on Angami and all of that, that goes within what I consider as work. Now, clearly, I try to do that five days a week, not seven days a week. Uh, but yeah, uh, my normal day, work day is long. 
What book are you reading now? Uh, interesting point. I mean, uh, it's like I keep reading lots of books. The last book that I read and I enjoyed a lot and I uh, brought uh, to my team, I think I brought eight copies, is uh, the Reed Hastings books, No Rules Rules. It's an amazing book. And it talks about how Reed Hastings uh, built the culture of Netflix. And so I don't watch Netflix, but I actually read about Netflix. And, and, and how I, he started by creating something he calls, uh, a coined infor, um, he coined the term, informa- uh, sorry, talent density. So talent density is, is an amazing thing. And, you know, it, it's very weird. That's like, for me, it has been always about talent. And, but, you know, I've never thought about it as talent density, but it's great when you, when you get to read a book about someone that you admire and that inspires you and that you feel, I mean, we, that, you know, Reed Hastings, the guy started by realizing that to, to, to create his, the culture of the company, he needed first to have people he can trust and they're smart. And then they can, you know, they're going to build skills on top of them. So it's, we're different, but in certain point, we realized that back when we started doing Angami, we needed skills, but you know, it's, it weren't the kind of skills that I can pay for. I wasn't going to get people from Facebook or Google or wherever. So I, I needed, I thought we're going to bring people who are smart, who've been doing something relevant or, you know, and something in tech and whatever. So I bought, I brought multiple people at the time, but then what we realized is that the biggest problem we faced was unlearning. So unlearning became for us a bigger problem than actually learning. So for us to, we realized that we needed to work hard and to get, get those people to unlearn what they've been built over the past 10 or 15 years, whatever, depends on them, and then uh, start from scratch. So for us, it, it, we figured it might be best if we start with people who don't have to unlearn, then go to graduate students, I mean, uh, and get them to, you know, uh, work with them and teach them skills and, you know, smart people, but teach them and grow them. And then you look right now at Angami, most of the team in Angami have never worked anything else. They've started working with us and we build their skills and we made them better and better. And a lot of that, I had to do it by simply learning from others how to run a company or run a team or build because I've never learned that by doing, right? I'm, I never learned that, sorry, by being inflicted upon me other cultures. So I've learned all of that by doing my own culture and my own ideas about how should the company be and how I should work and how should I actually behave or, or actually, you know, mentor my team and how I should actually invest in my team and get them to be the better version of us and get, get them to inspire them to not take our ideas and try to build our ideas because they're kind of, uh, you know, sacred things, but actually get them to uh, build upon our ideas and actually validate whether our ideas are good or not and test everything. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm proud to what we got because, you know, I ended up building a great team. Yes, and books are a great resource for benefiting from other people's experience. Um, and a lot of the 
world's, you know, top leaders do spend a lot of uh, or read at least once every day and spend some time every day reading. But um, Anrami has some pretty stiff competition as a music streaming platform. You have companies like Spotify, Deezer. What's Anrami's edge? Yeah, uh, good, good question. So for me, honestly, it's neither of those are the competition. Let's be reasonable. We're in the Middle East. My competition is simple. There are three things, piracy, piracy, and piracy. So for us, uh, I mean, I respect the competition and simply it validates that we're doing something right, right? But since the competition entered um, the, the Middle East, we, we've been growing at a faster rate than before. So that's great because at the end, what the competition does and what we're doing is simply educating and growing the pie. Right? So it's not about you know who, uh, whether the competition is eating up from my pie or, or vice versa. We're all first increasing the pie uh, because still most of the people in the region get a music from illegal pirated sources uh, rather than from a legal streaming service, this legal music streaming service. So that is very important to start with. Second, we're honestly trying to do something that that might look similar from afar, but we have a different vision. First, uh, because we're from the region, because we're embedded in the region, we had to build stuff that the competition doesn't even, I mean, is never aware of and doesn't even think about. We built a payment network that connect 36 telcos uh, across the region. We built them ourselves one by one. And that enabled people to pay and to uh, pay uh, to to Anrami by telco. That is something that is kind of unique. That is something that nobody had to do or to build because it's only emerging markets have a different, uh, you know, behavior versus credit card and payment methods. Two, uh, we we had to build our artist platform. So artists, most artists worldwide upload music to streaming services by by the, via their labels, like big major labels, and they have the tech infrastructure and all of that. In the region over here, there is no major label. And most of our work has, I mean, originally started by us actually digitizing um, CDs and content and whatever into, uh, into Anrami. And by actually creating a platform to allow artists to upload their content directly to Anrami without labels, this is all unique. This is not has not happened, and no international music streaming service has a platform to allow artists to upload contact directly. Then we started by actually uh, creating content and working with artists, and to uh, you know increase the the the, the breadth of the catalog in the region. So for us, we've. We've acted, we're, we're, we've acted and we'll be acting way more into cre- in creating content. We created something called Anrami Originals and we've built, I think, so far around 150 um, music tracks, but we, we intend to uh, grow that number tenfold uh, next year, right? We will be investing a lot in creating content. So for us, we have a vision that, yes, we are... We are the, uh, I don't know, the David and the David and Goliath uh, story. So yes, we're 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 small uh, relatively to the others. We have roughly 120 people. Uh, some some companies have 4,000 something uh, working on their products. We don't think uh, 
we're comparable because we're very different in terms of what we're trying to do. But at the same time, we're trying to build what we call Radio 2.0, what we call is a mix between, you know, uh, you know, music, which is a core for us, but also providing uh, ability, you know, for, for anybody to create their own radio channel on Angami and, and broadcast music as well as broadcast talk shows. And that podcast, we can be doing it live on Angami and we can, um, you know, mix music into it and you can have a channel. And all of that has been part of our our original target and uh, from or when we started is to create uh, a platform that would allow people to connect over music because we believe music is social. Music has always been social and we're all discovered music by with other people, by being in certain places or by connecting with others or by, by you know, getting recommendation from others. It's always that has been the key for for music discovery. And we believe most platforms have thought that music is a solo act whereby you you put your headphones, you sit at the corner and all of that. That is great. That works in certain cases. But we believe there is much more to be done on music and much more to be done on audio Uh, for us. Whenever someone is, you know, whether it's listening to a podcast or listening to music or engaging with the ear, that channel, the ear, the audio, the power of audio has been something that we've been experimenting with and learning and doing a lot uh, on it. Uh, and, you know, back into also creating our own advertising platform to be able to run audio ads and grow a lot of that. So there's a lot that we are doing that is unique for us. And some of it is obvious. Some of it is not obvious. But that is part of our chapter two, what we're building. Yes, I know that your AI is really great. Uh, first of all, I use I use Anhami myself. I'm a big fan. I love the playlist to create. Um, and I know that you have so many things that I haven't discovered yet. But would you say that Anhami has similar AI capabilities to the other platforms? And you just mentioned that you do do unique stuff Um How do you approach it in terms of uh, making sure that you're competing with, you know, companies have access to so many, so much talent and have such big teams working for them? How do you approach making sure that you do stay on top of the AI uh, game? Yeah, great. Uh, Great question. So basically, it's AI works only when you have data. Uh, AI is, you know... That is key for us, right? Having data. So if if I ask you who, what company in the Middle East have the most data on the music behavior of people over the past many years? I mean, that question is obvious. I mean, there is no other than us that have that data. We've been collecting uh, over 10 billion streams in the, the past year. Sorry, the, for for the many years, right? And we collect now roughly over 60 million data points per day from users. So we've been building bit by bit, you know, our data that is kind of unique to understand the behavior of people in Kuwait or people in Sudan or people in Beirut or in Amman or in uh, Dubai and or in Riyadh. So that that behavior and that data gathering that we've we have and we collected in terms of the behavior of the people is unique and that enables us to understand what 
people in the region want to listen to and how they listen to and when do they listen to it and what artists work and what artists don't work. Having data on music data of someone in LA or in Paris does not exactly correlate to someone who's in, as I said, whatever, in Amman or Beirut. The, the, the thing that we've been working hard on is working on our data and creating models that are kind of unique for the region. And, and uh, we've been doing a lot of that on the Arabic music, which, we, uh, which we've been specializing in because over 50% of our user base listens to Arab, to, I mean, the traffic in terms of traffic listens to Arabic music. And Arabic music comes in from just 1% of our catalog. So basically 1% of our catalog, which is the music, Arabic music, generates 50% of the traffic which is kind of mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling that you have 57 million tracks in Angami, but 50% of the traffic is generated for roughly half a million tracks, which are Arabic. So for us, yeah, I mean, we can focus on all of the 57 million, but at the same time, we want to double, triple focus on the core uh, that people care about in the region. And we know much more than anybody else about what they do and how we can build upon that. And clearly, we've, we've not been excellent all of the times. We've had a lot of our failures, our mistakes, and while building, while iterating, like I've told you earlier, like while iterating, you make tons of mistakes and then you make successes, right? So it's a, it's a cycle of building, failing, learning and then succeeding so and we've we we managed to get better because we managed to accept failures and accept that yeah we made mistakes but we got better so it sounds like arabic content is kind of your edge or one of your main uh differentiators i was gonna ask you about how you you intend to grow your arabic content now that you've uh, crossed over into the u.s um, on the Nasdaq, you have you know more resources to uh, to build on Hami, to invest into artists and content. How big do you think Arabic music can be compared to how big it is now in terms of being an industry? Uh, yeah, so we think Arabic music has a lot of potential and growing, right? Um, only if people invest in it, if someone invests in it, and you know gets much more artists being able to mix and not make and meet, but actually grow and, you know, have sustainable careers out of music. The problem is simple. Uh, I mean, it's a supply and demand thing. It's a marketplace in terms of artists and users. If you look at the region, we're, we've, we're not blessed with a lot of artists that are actually creating and contributing to the ecosystem. And that's unfortunate. Uh, but, you know, un, uh, until or unless someone invests and to actually get the youth creating more uh, music, you know, get new artists coming up on the scene while at the same time making sure that they can be, that they can create a sustainable life, a sustainable well-being out of being an artist, then it, it won't work, right? So what we want to do is we want to invest in that ecosystem to grow that ecosystem and by that even growing the pie for everyone. But that has been from inception what we wanted to do. When we started Angami uh, and we started asking people to subscribe, to pay for music, 
people said, oh my God, why am I going to pay for music? I mean, who pays for music? What's, I mean, you must be dumb asking about that. And then when we told them that it's a recurrent fee, so every month you have to contribute to pay something, it was like, oh my God, you're a scam. You're taking money again and again from me. So that was education and that is real, true stories. And, And for us right now, it's like, yes, we want to invest in music. We want to actually, why not have the next Despacito or whatever coming up from the Middle East? But to do that, you need people to really take, you know, we have a, we have a big, large youth pyramid, I mean, uh, in, across the Middle East, right? We have a lot, the youth constitute a big percentage of the people in the region. So those people, you know, are connected to music. They want to create music, but they never had the opportunity. Very few had the opportunity to participate in, let's say, TV shows or uh, to create music and all of that, talent shows. I, I, you can't even remember a few, but a few people who've actually graduated and became successes out of that. But the point is, this is our culture. Arabic music is our culture. And as a Middle Eastern people, we need to invest in our culture and try to figure out how we can push our culture, how we can be, you know, part of that culture and grow that culture. So yes, and by by having the IPO, simply it's like giving us fuel, uh, four times as much money that we've raised all over the, since inception, right now at in June, four times as much fuel power to actually invest, to grow, uh, to grow uh, regionally, to grow on the diaspora level, to grow in our uh, Radio 2.0 pro, uh, product, but also to grow in investing in content and to investing in the right type of content and helping artists build content on based on our data because we're gonna we're gonna be able to tell artists based on on a lot of the what i spoke before on data points and all of that uh all of that has been in fact understanding the music for the user's perspective now we want to take that understanding in those lessons and actually help uh, artists create the right type of music, the right type of shows to actually grow, uh, you know, the pie, whole, the, the entire pie and grow and Rami while doing that. So this merger that you did with Vista's media acquisition company, which is uh, called a SPAC, that kind of company, can you explain why this had to happen in order for Anagami to be listed on the NASDAQ as a company based in the Middle East? Yeah, right. So basically, is there are there are uh, ways to do an IPO. And as far as I know, there are three ways to do an IPO. It's like the tradition, traditional standard IPO listing, and then you have a direct type of listing, and then you have the SPAC listing. SPAC, is a, is, SPAC means Special Purpose Acquisition Company. Uh, basically, it's a blank check company that raises money to actually bring a company public. So that's the merger you're talking about. So when you do a SPAC IPO, you have to merge with a SPAC company that has the ability to to put you public. And uh, so basically you just have to consider a SPAC or a SPAC IPO as an innovation and financing and growing companies. So we were like, we could could have done another uh, fundraise, a VC type of fundraise, a traditional one, but having the opportunity of having a SPAC IPO is much better because one, we conserve independence, right? So right now, Anrami didn't sell 
we did not sell the company. We're on to chapter two by actually the company is public and the company can raise money, money and more and more money and can tap into the capital markets of the US to get debt, to get uh, you know more money and to grow. And at the same time, try to grow the company to be a billion dollar company in the next three years. So that is something that an IPO can allow you to do. If we actually had to continue with the VC route, we're gonna be forced at one point in time to sell to another company. Uh, doing an IPO allows us to, uh, the company now is public, the VCs that had investors in us can actually sell and can exit at any point in time. And that allows us to literally control the future and still grow and hopefully, you know, as I said, get it to a billion dollar company. Without an IPO, we're gonna, we would have been, I mean, uh, I mean, keep, we could have grown clearly, but would have been forced, let's say, at one point in time to just sell the company. I see, I see what your chapter two target is now, the billion dollar number. And, and that's, uh, there'll be, I'm sure, I'm sure that's going to happen for you guys. I have no doubt that there's, a, you know, such a huge demand clearly for what, what you're doing. So, in 2020, you moved on Rami's headquarters from Lebanon, where you have a beautiful office, by the way. I've been there and I thought it was super cool, very colorful. But your HQ now is in Abu Dhabi Global Market. Um, what was the reason behind that move? Many reasons, actually. There's not a single one. Uh, so one is to get access to a big talent pool bigger talent pool, because uh, Lebanon, unfortunately, has not been attractive for talent. And, you know, as we grow, as, as we have bigger targets, we, we, we're currently mostly Lebanese, which, you know, obviously I, I, I love my team and everything, but we need more diversity, we need more growth, and you need to attract talent. That cannot happen from Lebanon, unfortunately, for, I mean, for obvious reasons. Uh, and at the same time, attract investors. We could not have done uh, you know, an IPO by being based in Beirut in 2021, right? I mean, you could have done it maybe before in 2015 or or hopefully in the next five years, but not right now. We could not have done that. But then also it's in, in getting access to R&D uh, and that has been tremendous. Uh, getting access to R&D is, is exactly what has been my first thing that got me to go to Abu Dhabi. Uh, R&D means uh, investment in something that I've never, I have not had the ability to do. And whether it's machine learning, AI, or other stuff, uh, Abu Dhabi is uh, providing us access to a lot of talent, but at the same time to a lot of universities who have done investment in AI as well, machines and all of that, that we would need to do uh, and to grow. And then, you know, honestly, as we we want to establish ourselves as an Arab company, and uh, not, not because I don't want to be a Lebanese company, but because it's part of growing up. You know, it's part of graduating and moving out from your parents' home. That does not mean you don't respect your parents or you don't have roots, but basically the future in, in needs us to actually grow and to be, go to bigger, uh, you know, targets. And just happens that Lebanon that cannot meet those requirements right now. I would have loved that if it would have worked with in Lebanon, but, you know, we tried for a while and we realized that, you know, we could not attract investment from Lebanon because we've been trying over the past several years. So 
We had to grow up. What are your thoughts on Lebanon? What's happening right now? Uh, I mean, I love my country and uh, I love the people in my country more than my country. Uh, so for me, it's like Lebanon is is a people. It's And this is what I'm going to, you know, I'm going to always think about and I care about. My thoughts on the politics and that is something that I'm, I'm not going to dig into politics. I don't think I'm even good with politics. I'm, I'm good with stuff that I'm good at. And I know that the people in Lebanon, the talent that we have in Lebanon is an amazing talent. But, you know, uh, the potential is lost by simply being here. I mean, it's 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 sad to say that, but you know, we want to inspire people and want to inspire people to think big, to actually think about stuff that they can do, that we can create, that we can, you know, do better and grow. And currently in Lebanon, we're not inspired. We're just forced to, you know, have to think about stuff that don't make sense. And uh, and for me, uh, I hope to to be able to come, you know, you know, back and to say I want to move back to Lebanon. But for now, what what I care about is that keep investing in this country, keep telling the people, you know, making sure that I keep growing people from Lebanon abroad and keep, uh, you know, if they want to go abroad and keep helping, uh, you know, the, the, the universities and keep providing all of that support that is very important for, for us as people coming from the region, keep inspiring people from, from Lebanon to, you know, have bolder moves and grow and all of that. But, for me right now, I, I, I need to understand the problems that we have and try to figure out what can we do and how can we contribute back to this country. And I can only look at universities and I can only look at the people graduating and try to see how can I in, invest with those? How can I actually inspire those and pay it forward to that to those group of people that enabled us to to make Anghani what it is right now? And the rest is like honestly, I'm I'm clueless and I'm helpless, and I'm not used to being either clueless or helpless. Hmm, that's so well said, I, and I know a lot of people feel the same way. My next question is a little bit less about the business side of things and more of a personal nature. When that Nasdaq screen lit up in Times Square with Anrami's name, uh, I know it was a proud mov- moment for you and the whole team. Was there a part of you that paused and said, okay, um, I'm going to slow down now and take a moment to really enjoy this or some time to really enjoy this, something that you've been working towards, as you said, kind of the end of one chapter and the beginning of the next. When you reach that goal... Is it just move on to the next goal right away? I mean, if that's the case, it's kind of it's kind of <laughs> depressing. Sad. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of, no. Yeah. So the, the the funny bit is like when you know when we announced what we're doing, and it was on Bush Khalifa first. We had a three minute video on Bush Khalifa, and then there was like, and then there was the uh, the Rauche, uh event and then it was in Cairo and then in Jeddah and then on uh, in Times Square that was the how we planned the 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 announcement uh, and and for me it was like obviously a proud moment obviously a moment that I wanted to share but at the same time I did not know how to share and and whether I can share it clearly we couldn't celebrate 
because because we're from Lebanon and Lebanon is going through I don't know a depression whatever you want to call it I don't know the word I I think going through Lebanese I don't know Lebanese moments I I have no I don't think in the world there's been a time like that and it feels very weird very odd that I'm actually we're we're supposed to be celebrating happy we can't because it's COVID we can't because people are in in a bad shape in Lebanon in bad place. And we can't even ask people to share our our joy, right? So trust me, it's been a mix of feelings uh, that you know I'm 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 extremely proud. I'm extremely proud to what we where we are, and I'm I'm more uh, you know excited of what's happening over the next few months. I can't disclose, but you know we we have still a lot that we're doing, and I'm I'm but. Yes, it's somehow sad because I did. We did not throw a party. I mean, we deserve to throw a party. I presume we do, we deserve to. I mean, but it's like just happens like that between COVID and Lebanon. I don't know when are we going to do the party. Probably maybe in June when we when we're listing in New York. I mean, we're going to maybe uh, have a party in New York, but and hopefully in Beirut if things go better. I mean, we just need to be with family and friends. And be happy at what we've done. Uh, yeah, we we cut a cake, me and Eddie and a few, but it's it's not exactly what I want. I want to celebrate with with everybody in Angami and want to sh- be proud of you know the lot of hard work that the team has done and a lot of sacrifices that the team had done over the past year, especially. And you know, I I I ha- uh, we had a Zoom call. Uh, with the team, uh, you know, the night before announcing. So because we wanted to tell the team what we're doing the next day, because very few knew what were happening. Uh, and we we had to conserve secrecy till the last minute. Uh, so basically, I actually had to tell my team over a laptop screen about the news. And I had to, you know, you know, show happy, I mean, be happy and, you know, scream and all of that. Uh, via Zoom, so kind of it's kind of sad, but you know I hope we're going to be together and we're going to celebrate one day. Uh, but for now, we're trying to be uh, as much as we can, and everybody's excited. I know that the the week of the announcement, uh, the engineers worked more than double the what they usually work. Everybody had like you know adrenaline rushing into them. They were so proud of that the what they've achieved, and and they were so proud to be able to say that we're the first Arab tech company that's you know that's listed on Nasdaq. And that is something you can have in a CV and is kind of unique. So for them, they they knew that all that hard work got them in a good place, and they're proud. And I'm absolutely proud. I'll have a party. Uh, yeah, one day, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure you will. Before you go, I wanted to ask you about NFTs, which everyone is talking about now, non-fungible tokens, which are basically digital assets that can't be copied um, like other digital files, kind of like Bitcoin. Um, you can trade it and exchange it, but you can't like reproduce it. Um, I know that in the music industry, a lot of artists 
are complaining that you, you talked about this earlier. A lot of artists can't make a living uh, simply making music. I'm not sure what the, the breakdown is uh, with the music platforms, how much the artist gets. But one of the ways that artists are trying to counter this is by selling NFTs. Grimes, for instance, uh, an artist who also happens to be Elon Musk's girlfriend. So she's very attuned with all the latest, latest digital opportunities. She sold $5.8 million worth of NFTs at the end of February. Are you worried that um, artists kind of growing in this in this realm might take away from traditional streaming services? And have you thought about incorporating NFTs on the platform yet? Or is this way down the, plat the pipeline, not something that's on the radar? No, no. Of course, uh, we're, we're very much into tech and we follow up a lot and uh, we're, we're looking into NFTs. I know there's a lot that, I mean... It's more than Grimes that have done that. And uh, I kind of, one of my favorite bands, Kings of Leon, also will be releasing a, an album on a, as an F NFT. So that is, that is exactly our belief. Um, music streaming, the way that we're aware, we're, we're familiar with it right now, you know, which is, an, as I said earlier, which is like kind of the next version of the Walkman, is not exactly the end result. Uh, there will be way more uh, iterations, and we're 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 definitely going to be part of the of the next uh, moves on that. Uh, whether we're going to do an NFT or incorporate it in Angami or not, I think it's too early because you know it's still on you know it's still like uh, very new, and a lot of that will fade out, or some of it will remain, and then uh, that will be the real cycle of innovation, right? I mean. The whole point is, if we actually figure out that how are we, we are going to be able to generate more revenue to, for the artists, because the current streaming three, uh, revenue share model that has been established by major labels and which we had to, you know, uh, use because this is how we have to be legal. We we can't create a different thing. Uh, is not exactly very fair to artists, and there are there are multiple ways that this can be, uh, you know, fixed and adapted. And part of it is NFTs. Uh, I, I honestly think that we will be uh, working across a few ideas in the coming year to, to be able to provide more revenue for artists, whether is it from a user, user uh, uh, you know, sharing model or whether, whether is it from NFT or whether from it uh, like a club system. There, there are a lot of ways that we need to generate revenue for artists and especially post covid you know because covid proved to be very very hard for artists you know most artists generate revenue from touring whether from the middle east by touring like you know maybe weddings or 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 festivals or parties or special events concerts or big events but the point is all of that has gone has become zero Uh, and that is the same thing for for uh, for artists abroad. There has to be better ways to generate revenue, and the current uh, streaming model is not going to be the final model. It's going to be part of the mix, and we believe it's going to remain. But there will be more innovations. We will be part of the next innovation. I'm pretty sure. Fascinating stuff. Um, what's coming up in the next few months for for Anhami? You can give us the scoop here. I promise I won't tell anyone. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't want you to tell anyone. So basically, the, we, we're, a, we're, be, we're a public company. So right now, there's a lot that I can't talk about. But what's clear is that 
we want to make sure that the the same way Instagram created, uh, you know, influencers that share videos and pictures, uh, we and Rami create audio influencers that create channels, audio channels that have that might have a show like the men's room or might have a show like a you know, the morning talk show on the radio or the afternoon drive time or whatever, want to contribute uh, to creating much more audio content. And we want to actually move from becoming just a music service to becoming a media service in the region. Uh, we believe there's a lot of opportunities and, you know, uh, piracy has been rampant. There's a lot that we need to create and there's a lot of opportunities and thankfully now we have a lot of fuel to to test to supercharge and to grow and thank you for having me Eli Habib thank you for being here and best of luck with everything with chapter 2 thanks a lot stay tuned and please say hello to Eddie for me I will I will <laughs> take care Nadia bye bye that's it thanks for being here today I hope you enjoyed the show don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast if you want to be in the loop about all the great things going on in the MENA region and beyond. Take care, everyone. <laughs>